Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to the China Sports Insider Podcast on the Syndica Network. I am Haig Balian, and in the studio is the China Sports Insider, Mark Dreyer. Today, we talk to a man who is a legend in both the NBA and the Chinese Basketball Association, Stefan Marbury. But first, the IOC releases its latest and final playbook. We'll look at what's new. Before that, they wanted it. They fought for it. But as COVID and misinformation spreads like wildfire through professional leagues around the world. Will NHL players come to the Olympics? It's on a knife's edge. Mark, hi. Hello. Um, I'm really excited about today's show because honestly, I, I think I think we have a chance to change the narrative here. There's so much, frankly, bullshit floating around uh, the world of the NHL right now about COVID restrictions in China. So we're going to go over briefly and, and explain what actually happens for the players. They're all talking about this mythical five-week quarantine, which doesn't exist anywhere. Yeah. So so three to five weeks, three to five. This is like, this is a number that we've been reading about and hearing a lot over the last, I don't know, 24 hours, 48 hours. All the players are like saying, oh yeah, I'm not sure if I can do another five weeks in, in a Chinese hospital in addition to the Olympics. So yes, last night you sent me an article about Alex Petrangelo. So like he's, he's one of the three already on the Canadian team. They had to name like, so he's like top, top player. Yeah. And, McDavid, and, Crosby, and and him. That's right. And and overnight, you know, we're recording this on on Wednesday. There was a, a headline that Connor McDavid, who's probably the the best player in the world yeah. right now, uh, he said he finds the entire situation unsettling. I also find this unsettling. Well, if I was hearing that stuff, I would too. Yeah. You know. Okay. So so the playbook version two has just come out this week, and. Why don't you pull up exactly what it says, the relevant area, right. whether you test positive and, and what happens if you get COVID. And again, if you get COVID. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I've pulled this up right now. It's from the playbook. It says being discharged from isolation. At a hospital, you will be discharged when your body temperature returns to normal for three consecutive days. Respiratory symptoms improve significantly. Lung imaging shows significant improvements. You have two consecutive negative COVID-19 PCR test results. Uh, with a sample interval of at least 24 hours, and you display no other COVID-19 symptoms. Nothing that says three to five weeks. So, so basically, I mean, it sounds like a lot of stuff there, but essentially, 
if you recover and you have two negative tests, then you can be back into the bubble. And in fact, I believe it says elsewhere in the playbook, you can go and compete again. They're not going to kick you out. They're not going to send you home. You can compete with 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 your teammates in the case of, uh, of hockey players. Now, if you're an NHL player, obviously your frame of reference for this is the NHL COVID protocols. Now, you often hear when people, you know, go into COVID protocols in the NHL, they're going to be monitored for at least 10 days. Now, that's because, you know, that, that's what the rule is in, in, in the NHL. It doesn't say anything about negative tests. It just says you have to recover and be free of symptoms. Now, you have to get that signed off by a doctor. So from my point of view, the Chinese system is actually based on science, right? Rather than like a doctor who's keen to get you back out there, potentially while you haven't fully recovered in, you know, it's in a team's interest sometimes to to get an asymptomatic but still positive uh, player back out on the ice and potentially spreading. So I think the Chinese system, frankly, is perfectly fine. You've got two negative tests and you're back, back in the Olympics and can compete again. There is one small thing though, and, and there is some confusion because it doesn't really make clear what happens if you keep testing positive. As we understand it, you're going to go into a hospital, which will be within the Chinese bubble, the closed loop system, uh, as they call it here. Um, So you're not going to have to do the Chinese quarantine of of 21 days. That's more misinformation that people are talking about. But if you keep testing positive, and if you're still sick, then you're going to be kept in isolation, potentially in an absolutely nightmare worst case scenario for longer than five weeks. Again, the five weeks seems to be a made up number. On the other side, like, like, what is China supposed to do if they have symptomatic people who are testing positive? Like you can't put them back on a on a charter flight back home with a with a plane full of of COVID free people. So, so yeah. surely, if you're if you're experiencing symptoms, you should be kept in isolation, and that would be the same in North America and elsewhere. So, so this scare factor that is floating around and. I think let's move on to the next point, Hike. Well, well, yeah. So where, where? I mean, the, the question is, where did this number come from? Because, because you sent me the, you know, I asked you the same question last night, and you said, well, you were listening to the Thirty Two Thoughts uh, podcast on Sportsnet, and that's where you heard it. Now, I was curious. I did a little bit of searching, and I'm not sure this isn't necessarily like a definitive search by any means. But you know, from five days ago on December 10, uh, there was this one article again. Well, this is on CBC, and. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, who very reluctantly has sort of allowed NHL players to to compete in the uh, in the Olympics, he said, "I actually find it difficult to believe that a player would want to go, understanding he was risking being in China for an extra three weeks." Yeah. Again, where is that number coming yeah, from? Yeah, it's it's just it's lies. It's it's not true. Um, you don't have to leave the bubble and do the the three weeks of quarantine, even if you even if you have to go into a Chinese hospital. Again, that's a worst case scenario. If you don't have symptoms, you just isolate until you get two negative tests, and then you're back out and you can you can still compete. They're not even kicking you out of the games, which I think was the rule for for Tokyo. Okay, so here's here's just here's my take on this. Yeah. Nobody asked, but I'm going to give you my take. On this. <laughs> I asked. What's <laughs> you your asked? take? Okay. <laughs> to state the obvious, this is. A shitty time to have an Olympics. However small, there is a risk that that athletes will contract the the disease. And if they decide not to come, I get it. You know, it's yeah. it's totally a legitimate thing. But if you're going to make a decision based on but false don't, premises, but frankly. yeah, don't make a decision based on misinformation. Get you know, come here with your eyes open. And if you still don't want to come, totally, that's fine. You know, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. you know, we'll miss you. I I want to see the NHL players yeah. play, but I, I mean, and then of course. 
well, there's a whole there's a whole further implications in, in terms of you know China of China's group obviously opens up a little bit because they no longer have to play the NHL players. But I was just going to say, yeah. I'm naturally skeptical about a lot of these things, and I was just thinking, you know, the NHL has never wanted to come. The league has never wanted to come. The owners have always been against it, and they basically drove a super hard bargain with the players last summer during the return to to return to play agreement to negotiate this, and they've always kind of had COVID now. And it, this is basically Gary Bettman's wet dream. And hi, I can see on your face wincing. Apologies for the for the uh, for the imagery there. But what I mean by that is, if somehow it turns out that the players themselves, after arguing for so many years that they want to go to the Olympics, now voluntarily pull themselves out, this is a perfect scenario for Gary Bettman and the owners. I've spoken to some people from the NHL. I said, where's this five weeks coming from? They said, we don't know. Mm. It's just spread. We don't know. It doesn't exist. It does not exist. Besides that one CBC article that I talked about earlier, I mean, the other, the one other source for this number could be the NHLPA themselves. I mean, there was that... The ESPN, Players Association. Yeah, the, yeah. the Players Association. I mean, there, there was that ESPN explainer that we talked about last week. And Greg Wyshynski had, had referenced something about the NHLPA telling their players about a three to five week... Uh, window, but again, it's just so vague. Nobody, yeah. there's no source. It's very vague. The, the, the five weeks is a made up number, yeah. as as we've said. Like, like if you are, you know, badly sick, well, then you you're staying in hospital. But but that's so unlikely, and the, there is no like 21 days to, to three to five weeks. Like there are no numbers stated from the Chinese side. What about Bocog? Have you have you talked to talked to them yet? I've told Bocog about this. I've spoken with Bocog, and and this is a frustration. So Bocog is is the basically the the organization the Beijing 2022 organizing committee, and I'm like, guys, you need to address this. The, you're going to have uh, like all your star athletes pulling out en masse. The, the whole Chinese team element, I don't think Bokog wants that. They want the best players in the world, the best athletes in the world, and the, and the hockey players are, as a group, the, the, the most famous you know, Olympians that they will have coming to these games. I don't believe that they want them to pull out. But again, they're, you know, they're not addressing this. They could put this out and say there is nothing about five weeks and they could kind of shut this down. But it's kind of the usual thing where there's too many... It's too much politics involved and too many people to sign off on it and no one wants to sort of say anything. So that's kind of frustrating. They have an opportunity to basically address some concerns, which are huge concerns. I don't think they realize quite how big these concerns are right now overseas. So I think this is where a lot of this is coming from as well, because right now COVID is rampant in North American sport. I know in Europe as well, but let let me read just a couple of stats here. It's really hitting a fever pitch right now. And it kind of reminds me of March 2020. Uh, when the NBA and NHL season, uh, seasons shut down. So as of Wednesday, today, when we're recording this, 75 NFL players were in health and safety protocol. In the NBA, most of the Brooklyn Nets, Chicago Bulls, some of the LA Lakers and Milwaukee Bucks, including Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, were in health and safety protocols. In the NHL, the, the Calgary Flames had to postpone their games until Thursday. Uh, Bruce Arthur, who is actually one of my favorite writers. I, yeah. I've been reading him for, for years. He, he wrote on Twitter, prediction one, at least one sports league will pause within two weeks. Prediction two, at least two do it by the first week of January, likely three. And prediction three, China will have to consider moving the Olympics to 2023, but the timeline will be impossibly tight. And I and I responded, I said, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay. I'm going to go one stage further. It's not going to happen. I will eat my hat 
I thought about saying this. I actually tweeted this out. I will eat my hat if this happens. And I thought about it. Can I actually physically eat a hat? Could I cut it up into small pieces and digest it? I think, you know what? The risk the risk of China... I thought through this, and, I, and I'm, I'm fully on board with actually eating a hat if, if China postpones Do the game. Do I choose the hat? What kind of hat? Uh, I'll let you choose. Okay. I'll even let you choose. It's not going to happen... There's a microscopic chance because there might be something happening that we haven't seen yet. But the current situation is not going to postpone the game. Like, there's no COVID in China. China has it under control. If the other athletes decide not to come, well, then China's going to be like, okay, well, we'll just win a few more medals, I suppose. But, like, the whole point of having their games here is to show that they can cope with the pandemic and they can deal with it better than Japan and they can deal with it better than anyone else in the world and nothing will derail that it's number one political goal forget the sports it's a political goal like nothing will change that train yeah right and I, th- and I think it's interesting like I think in North America they're just they're not here they don't see what we see correct you know, I was point number one I, I was just in Chongli I went skiing where there's going to be some of the Olympics happening in a couple of months yeah Okay, empty slopes, which is great because I was on a, I was there on a weekday. But they're ready. I mean, this is yeah, this yeah, is yeah. This, it's going to happen. It's yeah. going to happen. I mean, honestly, like there's far higher risk of getting COVID yeah. staying where they are than coming into the Chinese bubble, right? <laughs> I mean, if the NHL players are worried about getting sick, yeah. then yeah. come to Beijing. But the one thing, I, there, but there is there is a risk, and you know, we're we're saying okay, this that three to five week number. Just to go back to that again, okay, that that number is just from out of nowhere. But look. Is there is there a chance that somebody is going to be in in a hospital for, for yeah, even longer? There is, there is, there is, there is. What is that chance? I would say it's very, very, very small. Because frankly, so few uh, professional athletes have have got COVID and got it badly. Right? You know, they've they've recovered uh, and they've become asymptomatic pretty quickly. And you know, as soon as they get those negative tests. For certain people, that could be a bit of a bit of a frustration. You need those two negative tests, and if, if you're feeling fine. But, you know, it's science-based. I think it's a fair rule, all in all. The chances of getting stuck here unnecessarily are so, so, so small. Yeah. So I think the other thing that we wanted to talk about a little bit was the IOC released their playbook. Did you have a chance to read through it? I I kind of skimmed through it a little bit. Um, I didn't see that much new, maybe a little bit about the QR codes that that people need to come into China. Yeah, so this is kind of version two. And, of course, there might be another one um, you know, this is this is a constant, it's sort of like a fluid document. So this is constantly being updated. And uh, I would hope that they would update it based on some of the things we've just been talking about in terms of what happens if you, you know, do test positive and so on. Because again, that is kind of what people are looking for. There's different playbooks for the athletes and then for the broadcasters and, and for all the different participants in the game. But uh, nothing really new that wasn't in there from version one. And of course, that in itself was based on the Tokyo playbooks. So we're not looking for kind of groundbreaking stuff here. There, there were a couple of things that still weren't in the playbook. I yeah. mean, it's it's this, it's the, almost the end of the December now. Well, it's the middle of December now, and still nothing about spectators, uh, or at least no new information about spectators, and yeah. nothing new about um, where to get tickets necessarily. So, what what I'm kind of hearing from from various uh, places is that potentially tickets might be released after about January 3rd or 4th. And that is when the the bubble, the closed loop system goes into operation. Right. And so we'll know a little bit more after that point. Uh, the venues are basically set up to, to deal with spectators. There are separate entrances for spectators as there are for the athletes, uh, the hockey venues and so on. I've seen the pictures of, of, all these, uh, of all these venues set up. And so, you know, they're ready to go. 
Yes, there's going to be reduced capacity. We've kind of heard some stuff that hockey um, might be 6,000 instead of 18,000, which is only one third. The, the curling venue, that there was an article from Chinese state media saying it was only going to be 20%. So unfortunately, there aren't going to be too many um, tickets. And of course, no overseas spe- uh, spectators. Uh, but for those of us who are here in China, we don't know whether we're going to be able to, to get in or just what the demand will be like, given that there'll be uh, not too many tickets. But I'm pretty confident there will be spectators, just a smaller number. Stefan Marbury, head coach of the Beijing Royal Fighters, three-time Chinese Basketball Association champion, two-time NBA All-Star, and philanthropist is here. Stefan, thanks for coming by. Let's talk about the bubble a little bit. Um, we've heard a lot about the NBA bubble and, and how for players it was really hard being away from, from your family and friends. Uh, you, you just got out of the bubble for the, uh, after the first phase of the season. What was it like? It's a challenge. You're used to playing home in a way. The atmosphere of the games is not like playing home in a way because you don't have the audience. So that energy that the players normally feel, that excitement, is really it's not there. So it's just really you guys that um, are being faced with the problems that you face and trying to figure it out and cheering each other, cheering each other on. You know, for the most part, you know, we've adjusted to it. This is our second two and a half years we've been doing it. So you know, living the living process is not ideal, but it's something that you deal with because you still get the opportunity to play. So you know, being that you still get the opportunity to play, I think guys are. Um, gracious for that it's a challenge it's not it's not easy it's definitely something that takes some time and getting used to but at the same time you know it's like anything as you continue to do it over and over you know you you get used to it like as a coach you talked about you know it's it's harder because there aren't spectators you know there aren't fans in the arenas like is, is there a lack of intensity from the players like what do you do as a coach to kind of motivate them keep them focused I mean, you basically just focus on trying to win the game, and you know, eventually the guys tune that part out. Right, I think right. also get used to it. Um, yeah, they get used to it, but I think for the most part, they understand what is needed f- to win the game, and they know that they have to have that that intensity in order to play, um, to win the game. So I don't really look at them and say, "Oh, I got to do something to get them to play." You know, you're still playing professional basketball. You know, and you're playing under these circumstances, so there's nothing you can do about it but do your job and get on the court and play the way how you're supposed to play. And and just talk a little bit about how the season's going for you, like in terms of your expectations ahead of time and, and how things have turned out and what your hopes are for the rest of the season. Well, we want to make it to the playoffs. That's the goal. The goal is to make it to the playoffs. You know, I'm not, I'm pleased, but I'm not happy with how, you know, we finished, you know, we, we could have done better. There were some games that we could have won that we lost. It's definitely been a challenge for us um, because, you know, we got our foreign player late, you know, so he wasn't used to playing, but we were fortunate enough to be able to get a foreign player at the same time. Yeah. So, um, you know, we were we were fortunate from that aspect. Um, and at the same time, you know, from us being able to play the way how I want them to play, we, we still aren't there you know, defensively and offensively. Um, But at the same time, they've been trying. They've been focusing on trying to not only get better, but to make sure that they all can get on the same page. We have some guys that really haven't meshed that well together as far as the chemistry. At the same time, we're in the middle of the pack right now. We're not too bad and we're not that good. So it's it's, it's still Still room to improve. 
you know, around two years ago, China was in a really different place. Uh, January 2020, like I, I was, I, I left the country and I was caught out for a couple of years. What's your pandemic story? Well, actually, I kind of missed the pandemic. I didn't really experience it the way how everyone else experienced it. During, you know, I left China around January 22nd. So right when everything was getting started, I had left and I was in America. And while I was in America, you know, I knew about what was going on because it had just started. For me, when I got to America, I was wearing a mask and, you know, people were looking at me like, why do you have a mask on? And I'm like, well, you know, this there's a virus going oh, you know, on. I heard, yeah, but they hadn't, they really hadn't heard of it. Then. No, they didn't hear about it really. And no one really was paying attention to what was going on. So um, I was there and then I came back March 15th, March 16th, like around that time. So while everything was going on in China... I was in America watching everything. So then when I was flying back, everything was getting back to, they were stabilizing. So um, so you, you wrote an email, didn't you, to, to, to Adam Silver? Was that after you'd come back? I think I was in America when okay, I wrote the okay. email. Yeah, so I came back from, I came back. So when I came back, everything started in America. So I kind of missed that whole wave and that whole feeling of what people were feeling during that time. So... Right. You know, when people ask me about it, it's kind of weird because I was like flying to America and then flying back to China when everything was going on in America. So you were lucky. You got like the best. I got really lucky. Yeah, Yeah, I did. I I honestly did. I didn't really have to experience it in that way, the way how people were when it was at the crisis time. So I, I don't know if you've been following what's going on at the NBA right now. Like 60 players are out in health and safety protocols. What do you think the NBA should be doing right now? I mean, the, to be honest, the only way that you control it from the players not attracting the virus is you stay inside of a bubble. I mean, and I don't think that they're going to do that because of the money. So China is making the decision to choose the, the health protocol opposed of the money protocol. Yeah which is actually what it is, you know, and the NBA is too big of a business for them to lose the amount of monies that they were losing during the bubble time. That's just the truth. I mean, if they could play in the bubble and still make the same amount of money, they'll be able to guys wouldn't receive the virus and they wouldn't pass the virus. It wouldn't be no way for them to do that. I mean, of course you will have, guys complaining but at the same time you know guys would be safe so so talking of bubbles a lot of people talking about you know what's going on here for the olympics you'll of course have finished the the second stage of your cba season what and presumably coming back to beijing just in time for the olympics what what are you what are you looking forward to from from that point of view i expect it to be like how china does what they do i mean they're creating uh portal for everyone to come and be safe and to have the opportunity to participate in the Olympics because they're the hosts. You know, China's strict. It's strict. You know, they're they're focused on making sure that people stay safe. That's first. They they make it a, a point to make sure that people follow the protocol and what's happening. You know, this is what you should want as a human being and what you should abide by and everyone trying to stay safe so people wouldn't won't attract um this virus that's just my personal opinion from living here yeah you know i I don't mind being i don't mind going to the grocery store or every building that i go into 
you know, and scanning. You know, when you don't have to scan, you know that it's relaxed. You know that you're not in a hot area. If you're in a hot area, these are the things that you have to do so that they can track and trace. If something happens, they'll be able to alert you to let you know to go get tested. You know, it's a protocol. Me personally, I think that that protocol, it works to make sure that people stay safe. Yeah. So actually, one of the things we were talking about before was for the Olympics, Winter Olympics, the NHL players right now are freaking out in North America because they're thinking, well, we're going to get locked up if we test positive for like five weeks. All this kind of misinformation spreading around. Um, What would you say to them in terms of like, you know, you're here on the ground, you know how the system works. And to us, it kind of feels like it's acceptable. Yes, it's strict, but it's okay. Like, what would you I mean, say to the NHL players? Well, I don't know about the protocol that they got or what they heard, but I know that the protocol here for us as us as regular civilians and living, if something happens, they alert you and they let you know to go, you know, go get tested. Yeah, you know, to report your test. Um, they have a way to, to contact, contact you. You know what areas are hot from WeChat or Weibo. There's a way for them to, to, to reach you, which I don't mind at all. I mean, for me, I mean, but I've been living here for a long period of time. So I've adjusted to the way of life here, which is okay for me. It fits for my life and the way how I live to basically feel comfortable and not feel like, oh, you know, if something happens someplace and I don't know, and I go to this place, if I if I don't know and I'm there, I'm and then I find out about it, I'm like, oh man, I I wish I wouldn't have went there. Now I might, you know, I don't want to, I, I don't want to attract the virus. If I attract it and I and I and I get it, fine. But if I could prevent it, why wouldn't I want to prevent it? One of the other things I wanted to ask you, um, this is a sports podcast. We want to talk about sports. We don't want to get political um but you know things like the olympics people do try to connect and bring in all these other issues and a lot of the athletes whether they're from the olympics or from you know your position like they kind of get asked sort of put on the spot there's u.s china frictions right and you kind of get asked i'm sure about this and that and people come over the olympics and asked about again more controversial subjects what's your view just in general like do you think it's unfair that the athletes are kind of asked to address these things that frankly they're not supposed to be experts on and they're kind of like stuck in a hard place like like what's your view on that you always have a choice you don't have to answer you could just say i'm not i'm not engaging in that because that's not my lane i folk i'm focusing more on what i do every day in my life and i practice to play hockey so i'm gonna focus on that you know i'm focusing on helping my team win a medal you don't necessarily have to view an opinion about something you may not have enough information about. So, you know, I don't look at it like that. I look at it like you always got a choice to answer what you want to answer. Yeah. Yeah. Like speaking about the Olympics, are you are you excited about any of the events? I mean, I'm just I'm excited that, you know, it's here. It's like you can still feel the energy of it even though that, you know, even though you can't really go and see it, but just the hype of the Olympics being someplace where you are and where you live normally, you know, it's like when it's in America and you're like, oh man, the Olympics are in in Atlanta. You know, it's like that whole feeling of the country gravitating towards that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a little bit different because people won't get the opportunity to experience it, but still, they're still going to participate. I was actually here for 2008 and it was, you know, 
it, it was obviously more an outdoor event because it's summer for one thing, but it was a different feel. You know, it was more yeah. of a kind of a, a party. Yeah. yeah, the energy was different. Yeah, yeah. Stefan, when I was preparing for this, I, I went on your Twitter and I noticed a couple of things. Uh, one thing was that Sean Marion said that he thought you should be in the Hall of Fame. What, what did you think when you read that? I mean, my numbers are Hall of Fame. You know, it's about basketball. It's not about you know, what you've done. There are guys like Charles Barkley. He didn't, he never won a championship. Uh, Reggie Miller, he never run, won a championship. Patrick Ewan never won a championship. John Stockton never won a championship. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter how many, how many rings you won. It's really about your, 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 your body of work of what you've done on the basketball court. So my numbers are historically in the top five, top two. Now, one of the things you've talked about, you know, your body of work, obviously, you know, two-time All-Star in the NBA, three-time champ over here in China. How do you compare those two experiences and, and those two achievements? Like, like is, it, is it the fact, like, is one better than the other? Or is it the fact that you've done it in both countries and it's kind of that bridge between the two as well? Well, I mean, for me, you know, the NBA for me, for China, was a, was a, a stepping stone. You know, I, I was able to utilize all of what I learned in the NBA to be able to bring it to China to be able to do what was done. Yeah. What I've done playing basketball, I mean, putting a basketball inside of the hoop, you know, it's over 23,000 points. You know, I don't know how many assists when you add it all together. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot that was done as far as playing the playing the sport and the impact globally and what was done and giving guys a gateway into being able to say, I want to go to China to play basketball. Like people weren't really speaking and talking about the CBA, mm. you know, back in 2009. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it's a, it's a real topic and a real conversation and people coming here, you know, people spoke about the CBA when, Yao went from the CBA to the NBA. Nobody was talking about the CBA, you know, back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. The second thing I noticed on your Twitter, there, there was this thing you had with Stephen A. Smith. So people who don't know, Stephen A. Smith is this really famous commentator. He's on ESPN. And he said something about Kyrie Irving. You defended Kyrie. And then Stephen A. responded to you. What happened there? I mean, basically, he was speaking about Kyrie Irving as a human being and as a person um, when it wasn't about him as a person. He mixed basketball and him being a human and what he's done because he didn't want to get vaccinated. Um, I'm vaccinated, so I wasn't speaking from a person that was anti-vaccine, whereas I was more so looking at Kyrie's point of view as in him saying well you know there's not enough information for me to actually do what it is that they're saying that I have to do in order to be able to continue to play basketball so I believe that he deserves that right to be able to follow the same protocol that they were following when they were in the bubble you know what's the difference why can't because states made mandates so if you play in New Jersey which is which is nine minutes through the tunnel. Yeah. If you go to New Jersey, then you don't have to get vaccinated and you can play in the game. Or if you play four hours away for Washington, D.C., you don't have to get vaccinated. So now there's an imbalance. So for him to go on this rant, which he always does about different players 
and him not, you know, about all of what he said, I felt like that wasn't the right thing to do and the way how he was going about it and talking about him. So that's why I came to, to Kyrie's defense because, I mean, if you know the kid, he's a kind human being who um, is in a continuous and trying to help humans on earth. So, you know, people that are doing those type of things, you know, and them being attacked by guys like Stephen A. Smith, who you constantly see change up and flip flop on TV for TV. Um, I think, you know, for me, that was wasn't, you know, it wasn't appropriate. Did, did Kari reach out to you? Did you talk to him about it? Did he I don't have to speak to him. I know him. So, I mean, it's, it's we speak in the same language. You know, there are a lot of former NBA players, a lot of Americans here. Who who have you been closest to over the years? I'm I'm not really close with anyone. I'm cool with everybody. You know, you know the guy like Pujita. He was one of the guys that I spoke to a lot because he really was trying to immerse into the culture. When he played for Shandong, he was trying to take them, you know, to winning championships. And what did he have to do? And I would just tell him the things that I did, but also giving him insight on um, the culture, like. Eating, eating with your teammates, the simplest thing, which is the hardest thing. You know, some guys who come here, they're not used to eating Chinese food when they eat Chinese food. They don't know Chinese food is good. It's just you got to try, you got to taste, you got to go slow, you know, because it's definitely a different taste. But to me, it's delicious. It's good. You know, for me, you know, interacting with all of the guys who come here when they have questions or when they ask me certain things, you know, it's, it's, it's free to speak. Um, the guys that have played for me, you know, we communicate, we talk, tell them about China, give them understanding about what happened and how you win in China. It, it, and it's a challenge for a lot of guys. It's not the same in playing in the NBA. You go from living in the Ritz Carlton from, you know, yeah. living in different different style of hotels. So it's different. It's a challenge. Stefan, we've we've spoken about this before, but you know, when when you first came to China, you know, the way things had kind of finished for you in the States and, and particularly your first year or two here, you were kind of isolated in in you know middle of China in, in Shanxi, right? Mm-hmm. And and it was I think it was more difficult for you. And then you kind of came to Beijing and really sort of reinvented yourself, I think, to a certain extent. But like well, it it wasn't it wasn't difficult. It was a challenge because I never experienced living in China. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually wanted to go back to Shanxi to play. They just made the decision to go in another direction. And then I ended up going into the south to Foshan, which which kind of cool because it was the weather was really nice. You know, I mean, it was one team, a, a team left from one province to go to another province. So I had an opportunity to help the franchise and start with the franchise to um, play for them. And then I got the opportunity to come to Beijing. So I got my feet wet and then I got a chance to come to play in the big city, which, you know, playing in Beijing is, I mean, I, I think everyone pretty much knows that story, you know, winning championships, you know, receiving all of the accolades that were Getting a statue. Won. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> like these things are pretty, pretty amazing. And, you know, for anyone to be able to accomplish such a um, feat. So, I mean, for me, I look at that opportunity from playing in Shanxi, it propelled into yeah. us to me being able to experience all of what I've been experiencing playing in all the different teams. Like, like you've adapted to Chinese life so incredibly well. Like like you talk about China as home, right? Do you think for, for the other NBA players, okay, they gotta try the food, they gotta kind of adjust. Like, can anyone do it or do you need a certain mentality to be able to kind of move over here and play here? I mean anybody could do anything if that's what they're 
desiring to do. Um, I think for me, my desires was to do something different, to um, accept something different. You know, I left myself completely vulnerable to love and to understand something completely different from what I was used to. So adapting and adjusting to the culture was an easy transition for me. It wasn't it wasn't hard for me um, to do that because that's something that I wanted to do, you know, and I was making the change and I was doing something different. Some guys come here, they are here because they didn't get an opportunity in the NBA or they want to try something different at that time and then they play well and then they go back to the NBA or they go to Europe. You know, for me, I knew once I made that decision to come here that I was more more than likely going to end up playing basketball here. What's next for you? Are you going to be in China for like another 10 years? I mean, I live here. So, I mean, this is my home. So, I mean, for me, um, I've adjusted and adapted. My kids are older. I mean, my, 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 my daughter just graduated college. Another daughter graduated. I'm a grandfather. So, my son is in high school right now. For me, is this is this is what it is. So I mean, I I will always go back to America. America is always my home, um, but this is my other home. So, so you so you go back in back down to the south, like uh, towards the end of the month, right? South, the north. Sorry, sorry, north. Yeah, yeah. we go to yeah, we go, oh, to, no. we go to the oh, north. No. Okay, yeah. stay in right. stay indoors. So you were in Guangzhou in the south, <laughs> yeah. and now they're shooting you up. Yeah, no, we it's, were in Juji. We was in like Hangzhou. Yeah, okay. and now we're going to Jilin. Yeah, it's yeah, be cold. yeah, yeah. Don't go outside there. No. <laughs> there's, there's no going outside. <laughs> all, right. all right, thanks, thanks so much, Stefan. We really yeah, appreciate no this. Problem. We love talking to you. Thanks. All right, all right. That's it for this week. Thanks again to Stefan Marbury. Hey, uh, do us a favor. We think this show is filling a gap in China, and we really want people to discover it. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it's so easy to give us five stars and leave a comment, or just tell someone about it. Plaster it on Twitter, on Weibo. And if you like the show, check out some of the other great shows on the Seneca Network. Head over to subchina.com slash podcasts. There's shows about technology, culture, business, lots of stuff to dig into. You can find me on twitter.com slash hypalian, Mark. Yeah, Twitter as well, dry at China. Okay, and we'll be back <laughs> next week. <laughs> and yeah, as Hike said, uh, please check out our previous shows. We've spoken recently to Steph Shao from NFL China. We spoke last week to Tarek Panja from the New York Times and, and Nikki Wong, formerly of Deloitte, uh, about Chinese soccer. We've had a lot of good shows. We've got some more stuff coming up. So please message us. Uh, tell us what you want us to talk about, who you want us to speak to. And uh, more importantly, click subscribe.